Well, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles, please, to John chapter 16. Next weekend, we are going away on retreat. I think they are always um, some of the highlights of the year when we gather as God's people, when we gather as our local church in a way that's unhurried, over four different meetings, to engage with the Lord, to hear the preached word, to sing to him. I couldn't be more excited and anticipative of this time. And the title for retreat is going to be Enjoying the Work of the Spirit. Now, for some of you, depending on your backgrounds, you're probably ecstatic about that reality. Others of you, depending on your backgrounds, are very nervous about that reality. Like, hang on, what's that going to mean? And uh, what, what are we coming to? And how's this going to work out? Particularly when we start looking at the spiritual gifts and so on and so forth. And so today I wanted to take a message and a period of time to really prepare us for next weekend. I don't want us to go into it blindly. I want to get us all on the same page. And so I put together a message called God's Empowering Presence. And I want us to look in particular, what does the Holy Spirit actually do? What does his work in our lives actually look like? And so we're going to start here in John chapter 16, from verse 4b to the end of verse 7. And this is the word of the Lord. It's Jesus speaking. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word. And I pray today that you would open our eyes to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I do know that as I pray that, the individual, the person of the Trinity that will be doing that role is the Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, thank you for the role that you play in our lives. Thank you for the role you play in our local church. And Lord, would you open our eyes to behold who you really are. In Jesus' name, amen. A few months ago now, if you are one of my Facebook friends, you will be aware, a few, a few months ago, my family um, started to entreat me about the idea of getting a dog. Never had a dog before, didn't grow up with a dog, didn't really want a dog, but my family did what my family do. They look at me with those puppy eyes and but that's just Josh, let alone everybody else. And before you know it, before you know it, you're, you're thinking about buying a dog. And what ensued a couple of months ago when they started to bring up the idea of having a dog was an unprecedented growth in my life about all things dog. I knew nothing about dogs a few months ago. But then they started to bring up the idea of having a dog, and my heart was warm to the idea about having a dog. I was surprised about so much dog information out there. I mean, prior to this moment, I thought there were probably about five to ten, you know, different sort of brands or whatever it works in, like dogs, <laughs> five to ten different brands of dogs in like a few different colors, shapes and sizes. And I discovered there are thousands of dogs, thousands of different types of dogs to choose from. And I was shocked to see how many were on the menu, so to speak, as to different opportunities that you could choose from. And I discovered that some dogs, they molt. Some dogs, they don't molt. So they leave nothing around your house. So we decided very quickly, we want a non-malting dog. And we realized then that we need something crossed with a poodle. 
So I thought this would be no problem. I'm sure there's like one or two things crossed with a poodle that would be more than enough. There are 20 things crossed with a poodle. For example, there's a multi-poo, a cockapoo, a schnoodle, a labradoodle, a, gla- a golden doodle, a peekapoo, a yorkapoo, a bernadoodle, a boxadoodle, a cavapoo, and the list goes on. I could not believe how many things have been crossed with a poodle just in Australia, let alone our universe. Everything, it would seem, has been crossed with a poodle. And what became worse is a few months ago, I didn't know anything about dogs, but all of a sudden, I could spot these things <laughs> from 50 yards away. Driving past, and you go, oh, look at there, cockapoo. Isn't that lovely? I do like the colour. That's a really lovely colour. And, and look at that one. Kids, it's a labradoodle. Not a miniature, not a mini, not a medium. Large. And I could spot these things from seemingly miles away all of a sudden. I had never, ever noticed dogs before. But suddenly I became an expert in dogs. I'd never really seen them anywhere, but I started to think about them and educate myself about them. And I started to be aware, these dogs are everywhere, and I started to spot them everywhere. And I think for many of us, in so many ways... That's how our understanding and experience of the personal work of the Holy Spirit works as well. For many of us, we never think about him. We never really engage with the idea of the Holy Spirit much. We sort of vaguely know he's there, but we don't engage with him. And as a result, we don't spot him anywhere. We're just aware he's out there. Rather than being really aware, he's everywhere. And he does hundreds of different things in our lives. And yet we never notice that because we never really think about him. And that's why today and next week over retreat, I want us to focus on the personal work of the Holy Spirit. See, I want us to be informed. I want us to understand him. He is the third person of the Trinity. It's not like the Father, Son, and the weird uncle that we don't talk about much. Okay, It's the Father, Son, and Spirit, all key parts of the Trinity. I want us to be informed because I think it's when we're informed that we start to spot his work and realize he's everywhere doing hundreds of things all the time. Yes, he is. And I want us to be equipped for that. I want us to be equipped and I want us to be eagerly expectant of what it is to meet him and encounter him and know him and understand him. So we can spot his work and applaud it and give thanks for it, but also so that we can eagerly pursue it. And when it comes to the personal work of the Holy Spirit, and particularly his empowering work, I submit to you as a local church, we seriously need the power of the Holy Spirit in this local church. Sam Storms, in his book, The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts, he starts the whole book talking about some of the challenges that he perceives in Christianity today and local churches today, and in particular the sort of mediocrity you see in so many churches across the world today. And he's trying to work out, what is the problem with that? Why is there such mediocrity? And this is what he says. He says, my conclusion then is this. I truly believe that the real problems, the painful struggles, and our diminishing impact won't be solved short of a fresh infusion of power. Not just any power, mind you, but spiritual power. The kind of power that human flesh can't produce and education can't conceive and revamped programs can't strategize. The church desperately needs the power of her Lord and the energy and activity of the Holy Spirit. I believe that's true. I think that's a great statement to make. Think about the early church, 12 guys. Jesus says, listen, I've got to go. You're going to stay. They are wetting themselves. 
a group of 12 guys, barely older than teenagers, and yet they turn, humanly speaking, they turn the world upside down for Christ. How? By faithfully preaching the gospel, not changing it, but boldly proclaiming it and working in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what they did. They lived that out. They loved Jesus. They proclaimed Jesus and they relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. And humanly speaking, they changed the world. That's pretty amazing. So we need to be proclaiming Christ, but we need to make sure this one is true as well. What does my dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit look like? See, I want us, therefore, to be informed. I want us to be equipped. I want us to be eagerly expectant of the Holy Spirit. And so today, as introduction to retreat, I want us to look at four marks of the Holy Spirit's empowering work in our lives. Four marks. We could actually say a lot more than this, but I don't want to keep you all day. But these are four key marks, distinguishing marks, of the Holy Spirit's empowering work in our lives. And I'm doing this so that we may recognize it, pray for it, and by God's grace, seriously pursue it. Number one, the Spirit's empowering work reveals Christ's presence and illuminates His work. Say that again. The Spirit's empowering work reveals Christ's presence and illuminates his work. If everything we could say about the Holy Spirit, and that we will be saying about the Holy Spirit, I want you to understand this is by far and away the most important thing about him. This is his main role. He loves to pull the curtain back on Christ's presence and illuminate his work. Jeff Perswell, who's the Dean of the Sovereign Grace Pastors College, he says it this way. He says, Nothing should eclipse this ultimate goal of the Spirit's work. And it must inform how we view the Holy Spirit. It must inform how we process the Spirit's work in our minds. It must inform why we pursue the Spirit. And it must inform the practice of the spiritual gifts, both individually and in the gathered church. Indeed, all of our thinking and our speaking and our interacting with the Spirit must be guided with this one pivotal truth in mind. It's so true. The one pivotal truth is that the Spirit's empowering work reveals Christ's presence and illuminates His work. You remember John the Baptist? What does he spend all his time doing? Pointing at Jesus. He must increase, I must decrease. I just want to point you to Him. That's what the Holy Spirit does all the time. He spends his entire life pointing us to Christ. Look at Him. Look at Christ. And when you look then at that reality, we see it very clearly demonstrated for us and talked about in John chapter 14, when Jesus is talking about why the Holy Spirit is coming and what is he going to do. See, in John chapter 14, don't look at the screen yet. John chapter 14, it's the farewell discourse of Jesus. And I want you to imagine the scene. Jesus has been walking with these disciples for the last three years. For the last three years, they have been hanging out with the one who healed the sick, calmed the storms, made the lame walk, raised the dead, walked on water. You've even seen this Jesus of Nazareth transfigured before their eyes, revealing that he is the Christ. And then you've spent three years with him, knowing him, loving him, laughing with him, eating with him, crying with him. Fishing with him, singing with him, everything you've done has been with him. He is your saviour, he's your lord, he's your leader, he's the team captain. You absolutely love him and while he's with you, you feel like you can take the world. And he's just told you, I'm going. 
I'm going to leave you because you're going to do things now. But for me, I'm leaving. They're gutted. They're emotional with it. They're, they're not just humbled. They're shattered. What, what do you mean you're going? You, you can't go. You're our king. You're our leader. We need you here. We're just a group of teenagers. We haven't got a clue what we're doing. Well, guys, I'm going. And this is what Jesus tells them in in such compassion and grace when he's talking to them about the Holy Spirit. Judge chapter 14, having just told them that he's going, he said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him. And make our home with him. Jesus has just told him, listen, I'm going to be going. But as he says in John 16, it's to your advantage that I go. Because I'm going to send another one. He says there in verse 16, I'm going to send another helper. You know, that word there in the original Greek, it doesn't just mean a different helper. It means one exactly like me. I'm going. But I'm going to send another one who is in effect exactly the same as me. And then he starts describing this other helper in verse 16 and 17. Through this helper, Jesus in effect will still be with them. So he has to leave them, but through this helper, he wants them to know, in effect, I'm still going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. No, I and the Father will come to you. And he says in verse 21, the one who loves me and, 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 and wants to follow my commands, I will make myself known to them. I will manifest myself to them. In fact, the one that keeps the word, both the Father and the Son will come and make their home with them and in them. It is a profound statement. And so here's the idea. Jesus is saying to them, listen, I've got to go. But in effect... I'm not really going at all. I'm going to send my spirit, the spirit of Jesus, but it'll be different because it won't be a body like me. It will be spirit and it will be in each and every one of you. So I've got to go. But in effect, I'm not really going at all. And what will he do? What will this Holy Spirit do? Oh, he will reveal my presence to you and illuminate my work to you in and through your lives. It's one of the fundamental roles of the Holy Spirit to reveal Christ's presence to his people and illuminate his work. J.I. Packer calls it God's floodlight. It's as if there are times and moments in our life where the floodlights just come on and you see Christ in your life. How is that? Is it just because we ate something different? We had a bit too much wine? Negative. It is the person and work of the Holy Spirit. 
That's why when you're singing, if you've ever experienced it, you're singing and suddenly a line leaps off the page and you just think, yes! Who's that? It's the Holy Spirit. Times when we're preaching and we examine the text and we say something and you think, that's amazing that God and Christ are like that. Yes, that's not good preaching. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Affecting your hearts, doing things that no preacher can ever do, bringing things to life. It is the Holy Spirit's responsibility to show us Christ, to engender affections for Christ, to open our eyes to behold the beauty and wonder and majesty and sovereignty of Jesus himself. And so before we look at anything else when it comes to the Holy Spirit, and I think this is where confusion so often comes in, we must understand that his primary role is to point to Jesus. He loves pointing at Jesus. He believes that his work is done when the congregation is obsessed with Jesus. That's when he goes, yeah, that's what I've been trying to tell you. That's what I've been trying to show you. God's empowering work reveals Christ's presence and illuminates his work. It's the foundation that it's all built on, but that's not all the Holy Spirit does. Number two, the Spirit's empowering work is invariably broad. So built on the foundation that the Holy Spirit will show us Christ, we have to understand that his work then about the way he does that, it's invariably broad. It's very broad. In fact, it's all-encompassing, literally in all of life. Gordon Fee says it this way. He says, The Spirit's major role in Paul's view of things lies with his being the absolutely essential constituent of the whole of Christian life from beginning to end. The spirit thus empowers ethical life in all its dimensions, personal, corporate, and in the world. Believers in Christ, who for Paul are spirit people, first and foremost, are variously described as living by the spirit, walking by the spirit, being led by the spirit, bearing the fruit of the spirit, and sowing to the spirit. But the Spirit indeed conforms the believer into the likeness of Christ to the glory of God. The Spirit is therefore the empowering presence of God for living the life of God in the present. Get that? The Spirit is therefore the empowering presence of God for living the life of God in the present. You ever feel, I just can't do this. I'm not going to manage this by myself. No, of course you're not. That's why he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence to live the life of God in the present. He says, listen, this is the journey I've sent you on. This is the race I've sent you on. This is the power you're going with. It's the personal work of the Holy Spirit himself. And his work then is invariably broad in our lives. Sometimes it's inward. Sometimes it's outward. And sometimes it's both. For example, personal personal sanctification. The process of becoming more like Jesus. It's what you sign up for when you become a Christian. I become a Christian. I love Jesus. I bow my knee to Jesus. I want to become more like Jesus. Remember that? We all good? All right, that's the process of sanctification. It's the process of becoming more like Jesus. And it's an important one. The Bible talks a lot about holiness and the pursuit of holiness. So for example, Ephesians 1 Verses 3 to 4, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, listen, 
that we should be holy and blameless before him. Whoa. Okay, so I wasn't just chosen for me to enjoy it. No, no, no. Part of this process is you were chosen before the foundation of the earth and you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Why? So that you can be holy and blameless before him. Peter says the same thing, 1 Peter 1, verses 13 to 15. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. You know, it's one of the messages that I think we'd be getting through Exodus, isn't it? You're saved by grace. You're saved on eagle's wings and brought to God himself. He then sits you down as his children and he gives us commandments. Why? It's a gracious gift of life. And he's aware as we live this out, it will do us good and it will bring him glory because as we apply these things in our life, we will be the city on a hill that we're always called to be. The world should be able to look on at the church and go, you guys are very different. You're just real different. You're real different to all my other friends. Your values are different. Your marriages are different. Your families are different. The way you live, it's just really different. What's up with that? That's why God himself, when he gathers the people of God around Mount Sinai, says to them about not only being his treasured possession, but a royal priesthood, a holy nation. There should be a city, a, a nation, where people look on and go, you guys are different. No wonder then the New Testament writers pick up on this aspect of being holy, set apart, different. Well, that's the process of personal sanctification, the process which by you become more like Christ. Paul then says it this way, though. The good news is that we're not alone in that, okay? Very good news. Otherwise, we are all stuffed. This is what Paul says, Philippians 2, verse 12 to 13. He says, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my present, but more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So there's a part we have to play. We have to be obedient and leaning into the Lord. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is the power. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Is that not a happy discovery? I've got to work it out. I've got to lean in. I've got to seek to be obedient to the Lord. But it is God who works in me to strengthen me, to aid me, to show me things and to empower me so that I can become like Christ. I can't do it by myself. Yet not I, but Christ through me. What does that actually mean? Well, it really means yet not I, but the Spirit of Christ through me. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us do those things. He's even got the word holy in his name. Set apart, spirit. He's helping us to become more like Christ. Paul promises it. He says 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. He says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The reason why you look more like Jesus Christ today than you did 20 years ago is because the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. My friends, if you've ever overcome a sin in your life or weakened a sin in your life, that's the Holy Spirit. 
you're really not that good, and neither am I. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life that's enabling you to do those things. If you've ever served in a local church and found joy in it, you come away thinking, I love that. It was such a joy to serve. Wow, that is definitely the Holy Spirit alive and well in your lives. If you've ever denied yourself for the good of someone else, that's a really weird thing to do. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. When you know, I really wanted that, I really wanted to do that, but why don't you do that? That is, that is a sign of the Spirit, that He's working in your life, helping you become more like Jesus. If you've ever walked through a trial with grace and peace and hope and resolve, that's the Holy Spirit. Because that's the way Jesus walked through trials, with grace and peace and hope and resolve. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life, making you more like Jesus, which is why you're starting to act like Him and feel like Him. Do you see? Personal sanctification then, it's part of the Holy Spirit's role and it's all very inward, but it is what he does in our lives. But there are also outward manifestations of what the Holy Spirit does. For example, evangelistic witness, proclaiming of te- the proclamation of telling people about Jesus. Anybody find that hard? Yep, I do. How do you think they did it in the Bible? Well, they didn't just go on courses and then have a go. Quite different. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, you will receive power through the gift of the Holy Spirit to then step out in courage to tell your friends and your enemies about Jesus. That's what happened to them. Every time you see someone in the book of Acts being filled with the Holy Spirit, whether it be Peter in Acts chapter 4, Paul in Acts chapter 13, or the whole church in Acts chapter 4 verse 31, the fruit of that, the effect of that, is they cannot help themselves but bust out the room and boldly proclaim Christ. Why? They've been filled with the Spirit afresh. They've received the gift of power, the gift of courage. I think we'd be mistaken to think their knees may not be knocking, but they are doing it because they know he is with me and I cannot help myself but proclaim Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He gives us not only power for personal sanctification, he gives us power for evangelistic witness. And then he also gives us power for mutual edification. The process, if you will, of building Jesus' church. And that's what gifts are all about. It is the receiving of spiritual gifts. Why? So that the church may be built. So that the church may be empowered. So that the church may be strengthened for the glory of the Lord. That's what we learn about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. This is what Paul tells us. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but one Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So these gifts of the Holy Spirit, he says there in verse 7, to each is given. You don't have to go to Pastor's College to work out what that means. It means to everyone. To each is given. Every believer on the planet has been given something. What? A manifestation of the Spirit. A gift or indeed gifts. Gifts that have been entrusted to you by God. Gifts that are now being empowered to you by the Holy Spirit. To each and every individual of the local church, they have been given these charismata, grace gifts. In the New Testament, there are five places where these spiritual gifts are listed. And these lists aren't meant to be exhaustive. They're not designed like that. And the way they're written, it's not like, hey, if you've, you've only got those. That's outside the gift, outside the gift mix. Nothing good. No, no, no. They're just illustrative of the type of things. And what you examine as you read those gifts is these gifts of the Holy Spirit, they are many and varied. So you've got service and prophecy, and teaching and encouragement and generosity and leadership and acts of mercy. Even administration gets a mention on there. It's not usually the one that people are craving after. But the point is, he's trying to help us see, listen, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. Why? Verse 7, for the common good. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit, a gift of the Spirit, or gifts of the Spirit. Why? So that the church may be edified, it may be strengthened, it may be built up in love to be able to be that which it's always been called to be. It's an incredible gift of the Lord. And to some, the Holy Spirit gives gifts of preaching and teaching and leadership. Why? So that the church may see Christ ever more clearly. Why? So that the church may be built up in love. It may be more effective in what it does for the glory of the Lord as a fruit of those gifts. To some, he gives prophecy. And words of knowledge and words of wisdom. Why? So that as prophecy and words of wisdom and knowledge are shared, we may ever more clearly see Christ and the church may be built up as a result. To others, he gives gifts of acts of mercy and encouragement and generosity. Why? So that as a body, we may see Christ ever more clearly and the church may be built up. And then to others, the gift of serving, the gift of helping, The gift of administration, why? So that we may see Christ all the more clearly as each part does its work and works properly. Why? So that the church may be built up in love. So that we may see Christ more. So that our communities around us may see Christ more in and through our lives. Here's the point then. The Spirit's empowering work is invariably broad. Don't put him in this tiny little box. It's very broad. It's actually all-encompassing of all of life. Some things that are inward, some things that are crazy outward. But it's always Him. It's always Him involved in all those different things. Something else that I think could be said about His work is this. Number three, the Spirit's empowering work 
will most often include a discernibly dynamic dimension. The Spirit's empowering work will most often include a discernibly dynamic dimension. Here's the reality on that one. If we are reading our Bibles faithfully and just willing to read them and read back to me what it says, a statement like that, I believe, becomes obvious. Because in the Bible, when believers are encountering the Holy Spirit, then more often than not, a discerningly dynamic dimension is involved in what is taking place. What I mean by that is this. No one in the Bible is wondering, hey, do you think the Holy Spirit's with us this week? No one's ever thinking that. I mean, just read the Bible. Read the Gospels. Read Acts. Read the letters. The way they're talking is, oh yes, he's definitely here. You know, it's just obvious to everybody that the Holy Spirit has rocked on up, that they're moving in the gifts of the Spirit. No one is guessing. Well, you know what? That's important for us. Because what we need to understand is all the way through the New Testament then, when the Holy Spirit turns up, things start happening. And so we would be remiss then to assume that, oh, but that was a long time ago. Now, he's a lot cooler these days. It's a lot more normal these days. You know, the Holy Spirit is just toned down a lot. <laughs> That's weird. You know, in the Bible, when the Holy Spirit turned up, there's a discernibly dynamic dimension to what was taking place. You see it all the way through the New Testament. And so I've picked a hard one rather than giving you the easy ones because I could take you through the Gospels or Acts and you'd be like, yeah, it definitely is. What about Galatians? Galatians is most often known as, hey, Galatians is just about theology, right? I mean, that's just a book where they're defending the faith and defending the gospel in particular because the Galatian church are being tempted to go back into the laws of the Old Testament. And Paul's saying, listen, stop it. That isn't what it's about. You're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. That's all it is. And so we can so often just think Galatians, that's just a good, solid, evangelical preaching book. <laughs> yeah, the Holy Spirit is very present in the book of Galatians. Look at what Paul actually says when he's arguing to them about the importance not to move on from the gospel. Galatians 3 verses 1 to 5, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that, Pastor? Oh, foolish sovereign grace. You guys would be like, you just don't like me anyway, you're not kind. Um, He's happy to call it. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Listen. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? <laughs> Paul is not talking in past tense terms in that, in that instance. All his language is present tense. He's saying, church, your experience of the Holy Spirit right now, your experience of the miracles of God right now, how would that be happening if it's all about just being obedient to the law? It's not just a book of theology. He's also arguing with experience. Yes, theologically it's true, but experientially the Holy Spirit is alive and well in your lives. You're seeing miracles all across this church in Galatia. 
So why are we reverting back to what we used to believe as Jews and the way we interact with the law? It's fascinating. They were experiencing something of God that was tangible, that was dynamic, that it was discernibly present. Now listen, I am not saying then before you think we better stone him or something. I'm not saying that everything in the New Testament then, we should just put a template over it and say, well, whatever happened there is exactly what should happen now. So we should pray for tongues of fire coming out of our head before we leave and give it a run. I'm not saying that. That's not what the Bible teaches. And we have to understand the difference between where the Bible is being descriptive and where it's telling us we must do this. But when you examine all the descriptive material in the Bible, what I am saying and what I think we can say is when the Holy Spirit turns up, everybody knows. There is a discernible dynamic dimension to what is taking place where for all of us you know that has got to be the Holy Spirit. That's just so different. Now, some of those examples of the Holy Spirit's power I already mentioned earlier on. So the individual who is going through a significant trial and yet who is finding grace and peace and hope and resolve in the midst of it, it's amazing. And you encounter people like that. We experience people in our local church that are like that. And you're, you look on at their situation and you think, I don't know how they're doing it. Let me tell you how they're doing it. The Holy Spirit is present in their life. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. The reason why you can't imagine acting the same is because they are experiencing the Holy Spirit in that moment in a way you are not. But we need to look on at them and go, that is God's work in your life. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit and rejoice in it and give thanks for it and draw that individual's attention to it. It could also be true, I believe, when someone is facing death and yet doing it with so much joy. I mean, in the church that I served in the UK... For 17 years of my life, it was significantly older than this church. We had the full range of people. So there were, like I remember, our Josh was six years old and he would sit next to somebody who was 96 years old, both singing the same song. And a few people have said to me, how do we attract older people to our church? I have no idea. The issue is we all need to stay around long enough to get old and then be them. But it was such a delightful thing to see that. But one of the effects of being in a, in a congregation that was spread out across the thing is we did a lot of funerals as well. We did a lot of marriages, a lot of babe dedications, a lot of funerals. And it wouldn't be uncommon to go and visit people before they're dying when you know they are definitely dying and they've got days left. And just to be around them was always amazing. And I remember one man in particular and just going... Uh, to see him, he actually died that night, but going to see him early in the evening, uh, I went with my other pastor, and he, he, he grabbed our hands, he was dying of cancer, and we sat either side of him, and he grabbed our hands, and you could barely hear his words. But at one point, he looked up, and his eyes were radiant. And he just looked at myself and my colleague, Pete, and just said, and I'm still running. I'm still running. What is that? That is the power of the Holy Spirit. That is God at work in his life. He is dying. He's within hours of his death. And he is running to heaven as far as he's concerned. I've run my race. But guys, I want you to know, I'm still running. What a pleasure of the Lord. Heard of another lady who died just a couple of years ago in our old church. And 
Um, she was also dying of cancer. She was in hospital. She thought she was going to go that night. And uh, she didn't. She, apparently, she, she went on for another few days. Um, my, my colleague, Pastor P, he went in to see her after she had already thought she was going to die, after he thought she was going to die. Went in to see her like a couple of days later and said, oh, am I when you're still, you're still with us? And she said, yes, I'm surprised. <laughs> and then she said this, but God must have more to me to do, so what do you want me to be praying for today? That's the power of the Holy Spirit, guys. That's the power of God's empowering presence. Not running with fear, not running with anxiety. Hey, I'm still here. There must be something for me to do. What can I be praying for today? We also see this type of thing when we see long-standing sin be put to death in people's lives. Serious sin that people think, I will never, ever be able to get over this. And they do. How? God's empowering presence. The Holy Spirit at work in people's lives, trans- transforming us from one degree of glory to another into the personal work of Jesus Christ, being like him in his character. We already experience those things as a local church, and we see them regularly, but there's also other things like healing. You know, I grew up seeing a lot of people healed. You know, people praying for people, and then they are better. It's amazing. You know what happens in that moment? It is discernible, it is dynamic, and it is present. No one in the room is like, hey, I wonder if the Holy Spirit's with us. Nope. Did you see that? You'll be talking about it for weeks. That happens. We've experienced that in this local church at different times. We've seen people get healed. It's an amazing thing. Likewise with prophecy and words of wisdom and words of knowledge. There are things that happen within those gifts when we're seeing them operated where you're just aware God is imminent. We always know he's present, but he's tangible right now. Just this last week at the Hillsong Conference, and whatever you think of Hillsong, um, I think some of the things they do are, are to be commended. And I think one thing that they did last week is Louis Giglio was preaching, apparently, and he just felt that he had a word from the Lord that there was someone or someones that had written a suicide note that week and that God wanted to meet them and change their life. Five people came forward at the end to say that was them. That is discernible, that is dynamic. God is on the move. And whether you be those five people or not, everybody looking on goes, whoa, what is that? My friends, the Spirit's empowering work will most often include a discernibly dynamic dimension. And we should never be afraid of that. We should want that. Because that discernible dynamic dimension always points us to Christ. It always makes more of Christ. That's why we want to pursue those things. And I'm eager then by the grace of God that we experience all of those things at Sovereign Grace Church. The 12 disciples, humanly speaking, turned the world upside down by faithfully preaching the gospel and working in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's way more than 12 of us here. Imagine what God could do if we passionately go after him that way. We passionately go after proclaiming Christ more and we feel nervous about it. So we go, okay, well, I'm going to pray every morning of my life that he will fill me with the Spirit afresh so I can do it more boldly. I know I'm not going to be able to manage it myself. Sure. So I'm going to spend more time on my knees crying out to God that he'll give me courage and help. When the Holy Spirit turns up, discernible, dynamic things take place. And finally, the Spirit's empowering work is ongoing and continuous. Such an important reality, and yet something, I think, depending on our backgrounds, we can get so wrong. 
So I grew up Pentecostal, and so I used to think that you just got baptized with the Spirit. One time, one event, and then you're done. Thanks for playing. And so you grew up believing that, you know, you'd even chat to other Christians. This is how arrogant it was, and I'm very sorry if you didn't grow up Pentecostal. But you would meet somebody and say, oh, are you Spirit-filled? No. And you'd be like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> They're not a proper Christian. They're only halfway there. That's what we used to think. Are you born again? Which in my world meant baptized of the Spirit. Born again, what does that mean? Oh dear, they're not there, they're not there. So you used to look on that people were allegedly not Spirit-filled and think, oh. But the idea was a baptism of the Spirit, still a one-time event. And then you go to the world that I didn't know so much about, which is just evangelical, um, maybe even cessationist. They still believed in the Holy Spirit. They just believed that was regeneration, which I think is true. You receive the Holy Spirit upon salvation. That is the baptism of the Spirit. Boom! You receive the Holy Spirit there and then. But then you start to think, so that's it, right? Done. No, both wrong. But thanks for playing. Both wrong. It is not a one-time event in either case. The Bible doesn't teach that. This is what it teaches. Ephesians 5, verses 17 to 21. It says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's present tense. Don't get drunk. Why? Be filled with His Holy Spirit instead. He's talking about an ongoing and continuous experience of Christianity that changes Christianity. So it's not just like, oh, I got my fill. I don't know, I had my fill. I had my fill, yeah, I was, I was 20. Yeah, yeah, I'm done. Okay, well, what about like 20 minutes ago? You know, it, it keeps going. There's something we need to do. He then says the same thing, although different when it comes to the gifts. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, he says, Pursue love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. Go after these gifts. Well, how does that work if I just received them all upon salvation? Exactly. You didn't. God isn't done with you yet. It's a life. It's walking in the Spirit. Maybe God wants to give you gifts in the next three months that you've never had for the entirety of your life. Otherwise, it's a bit cruel, isn't it? Eagerly or earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, but he's not going to give you any. That's a bit weird. You know, it's so easy as evangelicals to go, pursue love. And eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially you may prophesy. You know, we're uncomfortable with that. Pursue love. Let's just all pursue love. It's exactly the same sentence. Pursue love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. That does not mean charismatics with a seatbelt on. It does not. It does not mean open but cautious. You know, pursue love would be open but cautious with the spiritual gifts. Nope, no, nope, no. Nope. Eagerly desire. And that doesn't mean we have to be uncautious. It doesn't mean we have to be stupid. No. But I'm reading, pursue love and eagerly desire. Eagerly lean in. Eagerly pursue. Lord, help me. Would, would I receive the gift of prophecy that I may use it to make much of Christ so that the church may be built? Different tone. The gifts of the Spirit are ongoing and continuous. And sovereign guys, I want you to know he is not done with you yet. There's more for you, a ton more, that I want us to go after. 
And so as we head then on retreat next week, I want to encourage you to come eager, come expectant, and come hungry to meet with God. There's so much more for every single one of us. The Spirit's empowering work reveals Christ's presence and illuminates His work. He loves to point us to Jesus. So you don't need to be worried about what the Holy Spirit is going to be doing. I grew up in sort of more the crazy end of certain things. And yeah, you probably should have been worried. You do not need to be worried. Because what the Holy Spirit will be doing is making much of Jesus Christ all the time. The fruit of the Spirit's work in our lives and seeing it work in other people's lives is you will love Jesus more. The Spirit's empowering work is invariably broad. Don't put him in a box. He ain't going to respond to that anyway. But don't limit him in your mind. The Spirit's empowering work will most often include a discernibly dynamic dynamic dimension. It will. There should be moments where everyone in the room, whether they believe in Jesus or not, goes, what is up with that? Some things are dynamic. They change people's lives and the Spirit's empowering work is ongoing and continuous. So let's come hungry. Let's come expectant. And let's come eager. And let's see what the Lord does. Let's pray. Well, Lord, I do thank you that you are a trinity. (laughs) You are unapologetically a glorious trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, equal in value and worth and dignity, but different in role. Lord, I do pray that, that we would be ever more clearer now about how to spot you, how to see you at work in our lives, even as we think about evidences of grace, be discerning enough to know that what we're actually talking about is evidences of the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives. Holy Spirit, would you forgive us for times where we have ridiculed you, mocked you, and avoided you like the plague? Lord, when your Spirit moves, our lives are changed. And so, Lord, would you help us to discern where you are present, discern where you're at work, not to be afraid but to delight in you and to move forward in your empowering presence. Lord, would you do these things by your incredible grace. In Jesus' name, amen.